0: Good morning good afternoon good evening whatever time it is wherever you are tuning in thank you for joining me for the next edition or episode of the brahma vihara's compassion now the brahma vihara is a pali term or a sanskrit term it means the home of the gods or the dwelling of the gods So there are four of them, uh, loving-kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. Uh, We've done a few weeks already on loving-kindness. That was very beautiful. Uh, But don't worry if you missed that uh, and you're just joining me today for the first time or if you've missed several of the episodes, uh, don't worry. Each episode is a standalone episode and great benefit can be received uh, just by joining this one episode. So, it is a series. They do join together, but they can also be experienced uh, very well and equally as standalone. Now, today is a Q&A session. Uh, I did get to several questions uh, in regards to the practices of compassion. And so, I'm pretty much just going to jump right in. Uh, Around the first episode of Loving Kindness series, I went through each phrase and kind of uh, talked about each phrase, really dissected each phrase. And so I was asked to do that again for the compassion practice. Uh, Now, if you're not familiar, if you are just joining us today, this practice uh, works by uh, we uh, bring these phrases. They're written sort of like aphorisms, But we endow them with a little bit more weight than your typical aphorism. We consider them to be a very precious gift. And we bring that phrase into our own heart. And then we visualize or imagine what our life would look or feel like if that phrase was completely reflective of our life circumstance, completely true for our entire life. And then we do that, ideally we would do that for a couple of weeks. Now I don't spend that much time on it uh, for the uh, Facebook series, for the video series, Uh, but you can do that on your own. Uh, When the series is complete, you'll have a whole library of uh, guided meditations and talks to draw from. So spend a couple of weeks cultivating compassion for the self and then we start sending that to loved ones then we start sending it to uh, people we don't know, strangers, people we have this, uh, well, there's not a quality of attraction or aversion towards, kind of a neutral person, if you will. And then we send it to people who we consider enemy, our perceived enemy, like that. And so you'll notice it starts small with the self, the circle starts small. Then we're con- consistently and patiently widening our circle of compassion and care to include, eventually including the entire world, like that. So uh, starting with ourself and then expanding out, expanding out, expanding out, to finally include everyone, all beings. Okay, so the first phrase that we use, that we bring to our own heart and then send to others, may I be free from suffering. Now many people have trouble with the word suffering, so you can use the word struggle there. It's a similar thing, and more people, uh, it seems to me, can identify with the word struggle. May I be free from struggle? Uh, because sometimes you say, "May I be free from suffering?" You think, "Well, I'm not really suffering much right now. My life is pretty, uh, pretty copacetic." Um, but there might be some struggle there. I mean, struggle is—it seems a little uh, smaller, if you will. Uh, and this is because we, we tend to endow the word suffering with this a lot of weight. But uh, from the perennial wisdom perspective, suffering is really any sort of resistance against the present moment. So the first phrase, may I be free from suffering, and when we visualize that, we can actually kind of see where we resist the present moment and how we are not free, how our life isn't free from that type of struggle. The next phrase, may I or may you, may we, be free from disturbance and harm. Now this is covering a lot of ground now, right? Free from suffering, free from struggle, free from disturbance, and free from harm. And so again, when we visualize that for ourselves, disturbance can be pretty small, from the unexpected phone ringing during a meditation session, uh, and then all the way to harm. Well, that could be uh, some violence that's brought onto you somehow some virus that we might contract another method of harm so here free from disturbance and harm and so again when we offer that to our own heart we might see the ways that disturbance and harm pervade our life and we can then imagine what our life would look like that if we were free from those occurrences then when we we send that to others we actually can see them perhaps experiencing disturbance and harm we might know them especially if we're sending it to a loved one we might know the qualities in their life that bring them disturbance and harm and we actually can visualize them free from that and what that would feel like for them it's quite beautiful May I accept things just as they are. Quite tricky in this world climate. I think most of us would agree, right? Uh, there are some, some things that we just really would rather not have to accept. right? When we turn on the news, or we want to travel somewhere, we can't. We want to meet friends, but we can't, and so forth. Now, accepting things just as they are is not condoning somebody treating us poorly, but we accept that this is what the present moment is bringing, and then we can move forward to correct the imbalance. So, if somebody is treating us poorly, maybe somebody's uh, you know saying mean things to us, or even worse, whatever the transgression is we first can accept that this is what's happening. This is the present moment. Now in that acceptance, we have a lot more power to move forward to address what's happening. If what's happening is uh, not right in our view, or it's hurting us in some way, uh, if we accept it first, we have a lot more power, a lot more ground to stand on when we move forward To unplug that behavior because we've taken the emotional reactivity out of it. When you're caught in non acceptance, you're struggling against the present moment, and then anger arises, or fear arises, or rage, or sadness whatever it is that we habitually fall into when we struggle against the present moment, that will be there. And when that's there, that clouds our judgment, and it doesn't really allow us to move forward to correct those transgressions effectively so may i accept things just as they are ah there's this type of rest that occurs when we can accept and open even to things that we find uh, or we perhaps label as unacceptable when we accept the unacceptable Uh, an, An amazing quality of rest pervades the body, mind, and heart. May I experience the world accepting me just as I am. I love that one. Now, this isn't taking away the idea that we continue growing, that we continue learning, But it it takes away the pressure of trying to impress people. There's nowhere to hide when the world accepts you just as you are. Wow. That's really to be held, uh, for lack of a better term, to be held with the arms of God, to be accepted just as you are, at least the way I've come to know God. Uh, that phrase really points to that experience to me. May I serve whatever arises. And so this again is, is pointing at the present moment experience, what's arising right here and right now. How can I serve this present moment? How can I be of service? Again, that, that great movement of compassion, moving forward to be service into the present moment. Again, I'm reminded of the poem that I read from Shanti Deva yesterday. Uh, may I be medicine for the sick. May I be a boat for those who wish to cross. May I be a light, a guide for travelers. Each statement in that poem, uh, may I be of service, to those who need service. Beautiful uh, statement of compassion there. So that phrase allowing us to recognize uh, that compassionate movement forward into the present moment. May I serve whatever arises. And then we send it out to others because it feels good. We say, may you serve whatever arises because it feels good to do that. And so those are the uh, phrases that we use to cultivate compassion first for ourselves, for loved ones, for people we don't know, and then for perceived enemies, and then eventually extending it out to the entire world. And we'll go through all of those stages day to day as the uh, presentations unfold through the course of next week. Today is again a Q&A session and so that I was uh, addressing the first question I got. Can you please uh, go through each phrase uh, systematically? And I hope that was of benefit, and I hope uh, you all found that helpful. So I then got a question in regards to uh, sending either loving kindness or compassion, uh, sending it out to people, this questioner, uh, said, I have no problem sending love and kindness out to individuals, uh, but then when it got to certain groups, it got a little hot for them. It got very uh, challenging for this person to send, uh, in this case it was love and kindness, but compassion works the same way, sending out to uh, groups which cause uh, systematic dysfunction and inequality. Of course, that's very, very challenging. Now, I want to say here that it's, it's okay if any one of these stages, if you're sending it to yourself, sending it to loved ones, sending love and kindness or compassion to strangers, there will be challenges. There might be challenges. There might be resistance to, to any and all of the practice. That's not wrong. Uh, now, that was the, the the first thing that struck me about this question was, can you help me to send loving kindness to these groups that are causing this uh, uh, this type of suffering? And uh, the answer really is, it doesn't. It's okay that you are struggling with that. That's absolutely normal and natural. And so the idea of the practice is is to show us where it's easy to send loving kindness or compassion whether it's to ourselves to loved ones to strangers to the entire world to certain groups and not other groups and where where we have resistances and so the practice is showing us how we're open in certain ways and how we're shut down in certain ways so the changes aren't really meant to occur during the meditation practice it's not that i can of uh, you know fancy sounding philosophy uh, steeped phrases and then one could then extend loving kindness to these types of groups unfortunately uh, it, it doesn't really work so much that way although sometimes key words can provide an opening and i'll i'll try to provide some insight into this in a moment but the practice is really just to show us we're opening here we're closing down there and we do the practice for some time you might spend three or four months on loving kindness three or four months on compassion and really learn to sit in the discomfort of resisting the loving kindness and in the comfort of opening to the loving kindness equally now eventually when we can accept okay it's challenging for me to do this but not so challenging for me to send it that way we can see that consistently uh, then slowly changes start to occur not in the meditation practice so much but in everyday life we might be out in our our world and we might encounter people who we would have been closed down to before suddenly now we feel a warmth towards those people and so forth and so that's how the practice really uh, makes changes it's not so that we can Uh, come to the meditation practice and then be loving to everyone Uh, so then we're becoming good leaders (laughs) but but the practice is really allowing us to become better people more compassionate people more loving people more joyous people and so allowing the practice so it might be challenging to do it in this one direction that's okay that's fine there's nothing wrong there the idea of the practice again is just to notice where the challenges are and where the ease is in the loving kindness. So, one of the insights that might help is that we can, if loving kindness and compassion is easier to send to individuals rather than particular groups that are causing suffering uh, to those that we love or even to ourselves. Uh, then to those groups are composed of individuals individual strangers perhaps or we might even know some of them so break the group down and begin sending loving kindness to each individual in the group even if they're strangers that's fine you might not know anybody in that group but to send individually to, to the members of the group like that Many times, people are, are, are taking part as a part of their employment in a, in a group that causes this systematic or trauma. And they might not even know it or be aware that they're doing that. Uh, so it might just be a job for this person. So, sending loving kindness, sending compassion to the individuals which create that group. Now, we can also then um, recognize that the, the uh, groups that cause this systemic uh, repression or illnesses, those are byproducts of an outdated worldview, which desperately needs changing. And it's just, it's well, first we can really be happy that we can see the suffering that's being caused by these groups, because once upon a time, uh, less people saw that type of suffering, and so that means that change is coming. Change is on the horizon. That's every step of evolution requires that sort of discomfort, and we get more uncomfortable, more uncomfortable, more uncomfortable, and finally the discomfort becomes so great that change is necessary. And so we can take heart, that we can actually witness and experience the discomfort. And in a sense, that is a form of compassion. Then also it comes back to that phrase that I brought up a few moments ago, may I accept things just as they are. Now again, not accepting the suffering that these systemic structures are causing, But accepting, not accepting the behavior, but accepting the present moment. Then moving forward with that acceptance for social change. That way we don't bring anger with us to try to create social change. When social change is brought about through anger, through fighting, through violence, it only causes an equal and opposite reaction. We see this all over the world right now, the left and the right uh, fighting each other. It's an equal and opposite action to reaction, reaction to action, back and forth. That's never going to stop until we can come together as a race and try to work together to create uh, a harmonious uh, compromise and work together for for the greater good of all. Now, I know I sound like an idealist or a dreamer when I talk like that, but again, visualizing it happening is the first step in the reality of it happening. So I hope that was beneficial to the questioner in regards to that uh, type of practice. Now, I got asked uh, by somebody who attended a retreat with me Uh, to go through the Angulimala Sutta, which is a a story that comes from the Buddhist tradition. I told this story during one of the retreats uh, that this participant was on, and he said, could you please uh, talk through that story again and and point out some of the wisdoms? Now, Angulimala Sutta, it's kind of a, a... long story and and in the interest of time i won't go through the whole thing uh step by step but i'll just read bits of it and 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 so forth abbreviated version now angoli mala is a a sanskrit name or pali name and it means uh uh like a um, mala is a like beads a string of beads a mala mala strand mala beads uh, and so Anguli means finger. So Angulimala was a back in the time when the Buddha was alive. He was killing many, 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 many people. And he would take a trophy off of each of his victims, uh, cutting their finger off, and he would make a necklace from their fingers. So that's how he got the name Angulimala. Now, one morning, the Buddha gets up from uh, his rest and he goes around for his alms begging for his breakfast as was the tradition for the Buddha at that time. Uh, Then he comes back from his alms, he takes his morning meal, he cleans his hut, whatever, and then he heads out to go look for this Angulimala, having heard of Angulimala's ruthless, brutal terrorizing of Savati, the home, well, the homing, the home neighborhood where the Buddha was living. And so as the Buddha's walking up the road where Angulimala was uh, rumored to be living, uh, villagers came out to the Buddha and said, Don't go down this road, for this road is the home of Angulimala. And they said, He is brutal, bloody-handed, devoted to killing and slaying, showing no mercy to living beings. He has turned villages into non-villages, towns into non-towns, settled countrysides into unsettled countrysides. Having repeatedly killed human beings, he wears a garland made of fingers. Groups of 10, 20, 30, and 40 men have gone along that road, and even then, even they have fallen into Angulimala's hands. When this was said, The Buddha just kept walking down the street in silence. Now, eventually, Angulimala looks out his window and he sees there's the Buddha walking up the street. And he thinks to himself, Wow, that's really strange. I've slayed tens and twenties and thirties, forty people who have come looking for me to kill me. and, And I've bested them all. Yet here comes this unarmed monk uh, perhaps I should add his finger to my necklace." So Angulimala puts on his crossbow, and his, his bows, and his arrows, rather, and his sword, and he heads out onto the street, walking after the Buddha. Now, the Buddha, s- somehow, is just walking very calmly, silently up the street, and Angulimala is apparently running as fast as he can after the Buddha and he can't catch up to him mangali mala says ha oh, this is really strange he thinks to himself i've i've you know so fast as a runner i've you know beat out deer and elephants and ran faster than chariots to catch my victims uh, and yet now i'm running he says with all my might and i can't catch up with this contemplative walking at a normal pace so Angulimala gets frustrated and he yells to the Buddha. He says, "Stop, contemplative. You must stop." And the Buddha calmly says to Angulimala, he says, "I have stopped, Angulimala. It is you who needs to stop." Now, this is one of the first great wisdoms that's drawn from this story is this idea of stopping. Because in the Buddhist tradition it is thought that it is the stopping of reactive emotional patterns which uh, brings insight which brings wisdom and compassion which brings enlightenment so the teachings are all mostly pointing at this idea of stopping our reactive emotional patterns so the Buddha is really saying here I've stopped my mind and heart From falling into these reactive patterns which cause myself and others so much suffering. He says, But you need to stop, saying to Angulimala, In essence, your mind and heart still create so much obvious pain and suffering for the rest of mankind. So it is you who needs to stop. Now, Angulimala is struck because he's never been spoken to so honestly. And purely and kindly, as the Buddha is speaking here, struck by his compassion, so Angulimala says, "Wow, nobody's ever talked to me in so honest, such an honest way with so much compassion." He immediately drops his bow and arrows, drops his sword, and he hurls them off the side of a cliff. And then he turns back to the Buddha and he says, "Please take me as your student. Please teach me." what you know. And the Buddha says, you are now a monk. See, he calls him monk. He says, okay, monk, follow me, like that. So there's no, no ceremony or anything like that. He says, okay, Angulimala, you've had a turning of your heart and mind. You are now my student. Now at this time, uh, many of the king's followers, this was King Pasenadi in Northern India, uh, the king of Savati. Uh, king of Peseniti, uh well, he had many followers outside of his king, uh, out of his, outside of his kingdom, saying, you have to find this Angulimala. he's terrorizing us, please king, go find him. So the king set out with many soldiers uh, going through Savati in the northern India looking for uh, Angulimala, And they come to Jetta's Grove, the Buddha's home monastery there and they go in and king Pasenadi addresses the buddha he says uh you know we're looking for this murderer uh this man who's you know so ruthless and brutal that he's slaying 10 20 30 40 50 people at once and making a necklace of fingers out of his victim's hands uh, have you seen him and so i'll just read here from the sutta here what the buddha says he says great king Suppose you were to see Angulimala with his hair and beard shaved off, wearing the monk's robe, having gone forth from the home life into homelessness, refraining from killing living beings, refraining from taking what is not given, refraining from telling lies, living the holy life on one meal a day, virtuous and of fine character, what would you then do to him? And the king is rather surprised. He says, well, of course, we'd bow to him and, and respect him. We'd even take care of his one meal a day. We'd make sure his lodgings were comfortable. We would take care of him if he was to fall sick and so forth. Then the king says, but how could there be such virtue and restraint in such a murder? How would this ever happen? And the Buddha says, well, right over there to my side is Angulimala." he is now wearing the monk's robes he has shaved head and beard and the king is very you know shocked he said, how could this happen and so again i'll read here from the text this is quite beautiful it's amazing buddha it's a, it's outstanding how the buddha has tamed the untamed pacified the unpeaceful and brought to unbinding those who are not unbound for what we could not tame, even with blunt or bladed weapons, the Buddha has tamed without blunt or bladed weapons. Now we must go <laughs> so uh, the king, uh, kind of known for being this sheepish sheepish character, uh, he says, "Great Buddha, you've done a great job your Your uh, dedication to pacifism has turned this stony, murderous heart." into a kind monastic and now here <laughs> and so they leave. So Angli Mala continues his studies as a monk and he goes around he makes amends to all of those families uh, for whom he caused such great suffering for. He goes to the people's families of the, of his victims making amends and, and studying uh, the teachings of the Buddha very deeply, meditating for hours and hours and hours and hours a day. Finally, it said he reaches the height of his practice. He says, uh, it says in the text rather, he says, birth has ended, the holy life is fulfilled, the task is now done. Uh, so Angulimala becomes what's known as an arhat. So one morning, as an arhant, this most advanced level monastic, uh, he's making his rounds, making his rounds through Savati, collecting his alms, collecting his morning uh, donations so he could eat. And on his way back to the, to his hut, he hears a woman suffering from a breech birth. And he, he actually goes to her hut and he looks in the window and he thinks to himself, how tormented are living beings, how tormented we all are, how, how much suffering there is in this world. And so he then goes to the Buddha and he says, how is this possible that people can suf- suffer so deeply? Uh, I saw this woman, this young woman, uh, suffering from this complicated birth. How tormented this woman was. What can I do to help? The Buddha says to Angalimala, he says, go to her. And he says to her, and, he's, and say to her, rather, uh, since I was born, since my birth, I cannot recall intentionally hurting or harming another living being. And when you say that truth to this woman, she will then proceed to give a healthy birth. And Angalimala says, well, Buddha, I, That would be dishonest of me to say that. I can't say that because I've killed hundreds or thousands of people. I've harmed so many people. How can I honestly say that? The Buddha says, "Mm, Well, have you hurt anyone since you've become a monk? Nangali Mala says, No, no, teacher, I have not. The Buddha says, Well, go to this woman and says, I swear that I have not harmed or hurt a being since I have become a monk. And after making that swear to this woman, she will give a normal, natural birth to her unborn child. Nangli Mala says, great, very good. So he leaves the Buddha's hut. He goes back to this woman who's still suffering so greatly, and he leans over to her and he says, sister, Since I was born into the noble birth, since I became a monk and an arhant, I do not recall intentionally killing or harming another living being. Through this truth, may there be well-being for you and for your unborn child. And Angulimala leaves the hut and she gives birth to the child, a healthy baby boy. Now, as Angulimala is way, making his way back to his own home, a, a random group of uh, marauders begins stoning Angulimala with heavy stones, and he, you know, gets wounded and bleeding and, and suffering, and he's crying, and they they won't leave him alone. And and finally, he's on his he's really broken bones and bleeding, and he drags himself back. Uh, to his hut and he knows he's going to die from these wounds and he asks the Buddha he says Buddha what have I done why am I suffering so and the Buddha says this is your karma this is your karma for the, uh for the suffering and harm you've inflicted on others stay with the experience and experience your karma and then Agalimala dies Now, this is very deep and very delicate. There's many, many wisdoms to be farmed from this story. And it's one that I keep meditating on year in and year out. I keep coming back to Angalimala's story. But one of the great wisdoms that I'll just close here with is this idea of self-forgiveness Self compassion, bringing it back to our theme for the week, self forgiveness and self compassion. See, when the Buddha asked Angulimala to go to tell this woman he hadn't hurt anyone his whole life, and Angulimala said, No, I can't, that's showing, that's indicative of Angulimala holding on to his past creating his own karma when we have really forgiven ourselves, when we really have shown ourselves self-compassion we've taken that stone out of our heart and put it on the ground and so had he truly been self-forgiving truly been in a state of self compassion of self-loving he would have been able to say i haven't harmed anyone He would have forgiven himself for those transgressions that he'd committed. But still, as this monk, holding on to his past, holding on to those wounds that he caused, and thus wounding himself. And this is a very important story in the contemplative traditions because so many times uh, people begin these practices, and they remember, oh, I've caused so much pain and suffering in my past how could i have done that because now we're more sensitive to that type of behavior when we start meditating when we start studying start practicing we recognize that oh what i did back then was so bad i caused so much suffering i'm not worthy of the type of love that i'm cultivating for myself or i'm not worthy of being on this contemplative path because I'm so I'm such a sinner, I'm so bad. And so here, this story of Aangali Mala is asking us to put all that down. And it's only because we we are now more sensitive that we recognize our mis, our transgressions, we recognize our missteps, and that's the only way we can learn and cre- and grow and and create a path. That doesn't allow for that behavior any longer and so that's why this idea of forgiving ourselves, this idea of self compassion so very very important uh, for the spiritual path or for the contemplative path there will be days where we we have insights into our behavior and oh we think oh how could I have done that how could I have behaved that way I know uh, I speak from my own personal experience I've done I've transgressed against people in in ways that I'm not very proud of and I, I too have caused suffering for others but now I recognize that and and having done that having now studied this path learned this meditation uh, I recognize that, that that isn't the way to behave putting that stone down, putting the taking the resentment, self-resentment, self-anger, self-loathing out of the heart, putting it down on the ground, more readily available to embrace the present moment. So oftentimes this story is closed out with a very famous uh, phrase from one of the Buddha's first teachings, uh, the Dhammapada, Uh, it says just as an irrigator uh, cultivates a field just as a fletcher shapes an arrow just as a carpenter shapes a piece of wood so the wise shape themselves and so that's what this path is all about this contemplative path is all about slowly shaping ourselves through the tools of self-forgiveness, self-compassion, loving-kindness, joy, equanimity, and wisdom. Eventually, we are creating a path that we walk, and on that path, there is only compassion and only wisdom. just takes a lot of practice, for me anyway, a lot of time, and a lot of self-compassion, a lot of self-forgiveness. So I think I'll close there. I hope you found this at least entertaining, if not beneficial. Uh, And I hope I answered the questions uh, to uh, satisfactoriness. If not, uh, do send more questions along or send, if there's anybody else here who would like questions answered or any topic talked about, happy to do that at the next Q&A session. Tomorrow, I will be back guiding a compassion practice designed uh, so that we can cultivate compassion for people we don't know, for strangers. Stay safe, stay clean, stay healthy, wear your masks, practice your social distancing, and we'll get through all of this together. Much love, much light. Thank you.